folks, welcome back inside the Parisi Palace, high above 2919 East Broadway. This is our number two of the Jake Feinberg Show. Coming to you live on Power Talk 1210, we are full on extraterrestrial radio streaming worldwide. Please go to powertalk1210.com, download the free app, stream every local show from your smartphone, and uh, it's an honor to have you part of the program today. And about a year ago or more, uh, I started doing uh, a portion of the program dedicated to the camp that I went to called Scatico, and I've interviewed quite a number of guests on the program, many in fact guys I've never even met in my life, and um, they continually always talk about one of the sages that they had as a counselor, uh, and so I've been coveting this cat for a long time, but uh, you know, he's kept me at bay like any good good sage would do, um, but we finally have connected, and uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Larry Hamburg to the Jake Feinberg Show. <laughs> Wow, Jake, I got to tell you, I've been introduced a couple of times, but that's probably my favorite of all time. Oh, man. A sage. I've never been described as a sage before. Well, especially from, <laughs> from bu- bucolic cats like Goldner and Deutsch. I mean, those guys, to, for them to have a sage is is, is very impressive. <laughs> but, but, but uh, Doc, it, They're my heroes, I got to tell you. Well, without, you know, we're going to get started here. I got, we got a, a, a game on this program called Name That Voice, and I wanted to uh, put this in, play this person, and, uh, and then we'll come back and break it down, okay? All right. My relationship with Big Flick didn't grow until I moved on to staff, which was only the, the next year. Um, it was really Doc, you know, uh, Larry Hamburg, who got me through that first year, and um it's funny, so we were skeptical, and we were kind of like, you know, we were long-haired, wise-ass kids, and uh, we were kind of laughing at all the straight-laced kids wearing their little green shorts and white shirts around us that day on the A-court. We're making fun of everybody. <laughs> and the buses were in, and most of camp was there, but this guy, Doc, who was, uh, Vic was, run, was our division leader, but he was in the bunk I was supposed to be, and I moved into the other bunk, and that's where Doc was going to be as the ADL. And everybody was just a buzz that Doc was Doc was coming and Doc was going to be there soon and me and Daddy just kept looking at each other and you know like who is this who's this clown that's going to roll in here you know and suddenly like a whisper started and like 10 or 15 seniors just got up and ran across the airport because someone had sent word that Doc had pulled into camp and uh, wow. we sauntered on behind to see wow. what this was all about and you know this big tall guy with the 70's afro and the mustache gets out of his car and kids are just all over this guy oh I love it, oh, it, was, it was, and we were just you know I, was, I wasn't the happiest kid growing up at those times I had a, I had a pretty tough upbringing mm-hmm. in a lot of ways so um I had a little bit of a bully in me, a lot of skepticism. I wanted to be the man in charge. Uh, This was a real challenge for me. Um, And so my way of handling it was just to ridicule this guy, and I wasn't going to give him a chance. But Doc's Doc's a superstar. And so it was really Larry. And so now Larry's a guy who grew up at the camp. All right, Mr. Hamburg, who is that voice? <laughs> oh, come on. Give me a hard one. Yeah, right. I got to tell you, when I listen to Billy tell a story, I'm like the eight-year-old bunk three kid again, <laughs> sitting by the fire. He, uh, it's one of the reasons why it was so tough to um, agree to do this interview, because I was going through a, a ton of shit in, in that day, and I was like, geez, you know, you got like pros doing these shows, you know? 
Well, I mean, I want you know, Larry, uh, you're you're one of them, man, and and, uh, and 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 we're all in our own little shitstorm. So you know, you 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 know that I, but I wanted you to talk specifically about you know Goldner, take him out of the equation for a minute, but just the idea of you have a kid. I, I struggled with this in education for eight years. It's one reason I opted out is because you get some of these cats who come from a hard upbringing. They have a chip on their shoulder. Can you talk as a, at, at Scatico how you would bring people like that into the fold and what are some of the techniques people can use when they're dealing with cats that are totally insecure but yet on the surface completely bullies? <laughs> wow, that's a tough one. Um, very simply, uh, back in the day uh, and probably still today, um, I've always sort of uh, prided myself or focused or whatever on the one-on-one relationship, one-to-one. Um, I said that I could sit with uh, uh, Obama or Osama or anybody one-on-one and just uh, just go at it, you know. Um, and those kids in those days, the, at some point in my counselor career, I got appointed uh, the guy that would uh, sit down with somebody who was having a tough time and, you know, we'd sit under the infamous or famous tree outside 11 and 12 and just chat or maybe even go out, uh, you know, take a walk around the ball field. And um, Billy was one of those guys that was a little bit of a challenge at the beginning. But by then, you know, in 79, I was 23 years old. So uh, it wasn't um, too tough to figure out where he was coming from. And since him and, uh, and Dee Dee were a package, I had to make sure that Billy was staying in camp. <laughs> well, he also he, he said the story also was that, uh, you know, he he his trunk was in a different bunk than Dee Dee. So he and he was and he was moving. He moved his stuff right into the other bunk. Um, but 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 I think can you be a little more specific about? I mean, was it just like tapping into what their interests were, or was it? I mean, I mean, dude, he just said the entire camp ran over to you. I mean, you were talk about some of those magic qualities because listen, man. Scatico's gates are still open. A lot of a lot, a lot of the counselors, though, are not indigenous Scaticonians. So, yeah. oh, that's one of the things that that worried me. You know, my uh, son went there for uh, roughly ten years, and um, as the camp staff seemed to change in color, um, I, I just felt like, how are these counselors going to be able to, uh, you know, give the kids the summer that uh, the summers that I had? Because so many of the people. Uh, before me, if you will, were campers, uh, and they were my heroes, my gods. And you know, one day, uh, you know, Peter Ehrenberg is is my counselor, and uh, you know, it was like uh, anything that I could possibly do to to please them, to be liked by these people, you know, um, and the people that weren't uh, famous Scatconians coming in. There's a whole different vibe, a whole different feeling, you know of uh that relationship you know they were just regular people they weren't these gods you know right um all i had to do was show up as a, a counselor at 18 years old or whatever um you know i had been the uh co-captain uh color war you know so like with my son jamie who was a captain here before uh whole different situation you know but certainly by 23 as i was saying uh if it was a, a troubled uh, 14-year-old is a big difference uh, than when I came in as a counselor at 18, you know. Did you, um, uh, how quickly did you and Billy get on the uh, 
like get on the trap set and the and the draw and the, did you start playing music with Billy? Oh geez, um, I don't know. I I got to tell you, you know, I just thought Billy was really cool, <laughs> and that's you know that's really you know you're 23 years old and you got a 14, 15 year old, and yeah, he had a chip on his shoulder, this or that, but uh, he wasn't. Uh, it wasn't anything as uh, drastic as uh, it might be in the movies, you know. Um, he was just a really cool kid when he showed up with his cheap trick T-shirt. Him and Billy uh, Didi walking around camp. Uh, you know, they looked different, and I was like, "These are going to be my kids. Right. This is going to be awesome." Did you? you know? I mean, part of I think it just popped into my head. I mean, did you recognize immediately the fact that even though they weren't indigenous Scatacconians, that they could potentially be great, great leaders for the camp? Um, I don't think they were great leaders that summer. They, uh, they had to get, you know, they had to get on the program, if you will, and realize that, uh, they could be the coolest, but, you know, everybody was treated the same. That's, uh, I think the whole idea of uniforms, isn't it? You know, you put everybody <laughs> in a white t-shirt and green shorts and you're all the same, you know? Um, so, you know, maybe they would, uh, uh, try to break the rules a little bit, but you know, pretty much everybody kind of gets into line at some point, and uh, and then the rest of the summer was magical. You know, it was uh, in my twenty years, uh, seventy nine had to be the best summer for for many reasons, and of course, uh, Billy and Dee Dee were the biggest part of that, along with uh, the infamous Greg Herman. So well, we're going to get to that. No, I mean we're we're talking to Doc Hamburg here, um, one of the most humble sages uh, yeah. in Scatico history. You know, it's funny. I I, I had a little bit of uh, interaction with Peter Ehrenberg um, recently about coming on the show. Really, I did. Um, I was hoping maybe you could talk about why you considered him a. What was it about him that made him a hero in your eyes? How many hours do you get? <laughs> we got a few. That's going to take a long time. No, I mean, but I mean, like, I mean, was it was it purely athleticism? Was it just? Oh, no. to, go no, ahead, break it, it down. The character. Um, this is the guy. Well, I get choked up talking about him. Um, this is the guy. Well, first of all, uh, I went to camp. Just to give you some chronolo- chronology or whatever to it. Uh, I went to camp from '64 to '71 as a camper, and uh, Pete was my counselor in '67. Uh, uh, and in those days, you know, if you had a, if you clicked with a, you know, a bunch of campers and counselor, uh, they kept you together. So we were together from '67 to '69, uh, something like that. And uh, worship is too uh, too small a word to to use for him. Um, you know, my dad, uh, of course, was my dad, but Peter Ehrenberg had more of an influence on my life, I think, uh, to mold my character. Um, he is who I wanted to be, uh, you know, as a person. And, um, you know, it was me and Roger Polisar and Robbie Long and Steve Serner and Chicky Atkins were all in the same bunk, basically, from 64 to 71. And we still, uh, you know, I mean, I can't put it into words really uh, eloquently the way Billy would or you would, um, but this is the guy that really uh, determined uh, for me what kind of person I wanted to be and and how to treat people. And uh, as a counselor, uh, if I get any credit for being any kind of uh, above-average counselor, that was all determined by, uh, you know, 
by Pete Arenberg. Well, you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're waxing poetic right now, so don't, yeah. don't take yourself down. Can you talk about a seminal thing that stood out as far as how he treated people and that's why you wanted to treat people? Oh, yeah. Um, I guess uh, in, in every respect, you know, he can't taught me uh, so much. Um, you know, after uh, two cancers and a divorce, I have to think that um, couldn't have gotten through those things without what I learned at camp. And uh, Pete was the one that um, showed us how to uh, to give it your all. You know, um, this is a guy that played on the uh, on the basketball court. You know, there's something that uh, used to happen years ago that's long gone, I'm sure. But Monday nights, I think it was, was, uh, um, I don't know, the counselor or something night. So you could go watch a movie, uh, you know, and spend your uh, canteen money or whatever, sure, watch sure. a movie. Um, you could do what I, I don't think you had. Maybe you had free play, believe it or not. Like kids could do whatever they wanted. That's possible, <laughs> right? But what I did every uh, counselor night, whatever it was called, was uh, watch the counselors play basketball. And um, Roger Grant was the best player, and there were guys that were bigger. There might have been there was definitely guys that were faster than Pete Ehrenberg. But Pete Ehrenberg, uh, in five minutes, was taking his. Uh, gray t-shirt and, and ringing it out on the side of the court um you know he had his his nose in to every play sure. you know just 110 percent um you know it was color war every time he was on the court and that's how he did everything uh and that's how i wanted to do everything um you know uh, that's how he what kind of counselor he was he was there you know giving it his all all the time and um, he was the guy that, uh, you know, he used to, I don't know if it was just me or if he did this with all the campers, but uh, uh, I don't know if it was once a week or once a summer, a certain amount of times we would uh, just kind of sit out on the porch of 11 and 12 or something like that and just talk about stuff, you know, um, and taught me about life that way, you know. Right. Uh, another thing he did that I tried to bring to camp, uh, I don't know if anybody kept doing it afterwards, was the last night of camp, um, we'd sit around, well, everybody be in their bed, and it's, you know, lights out, and he would talk a little bit about uh, what kind of summer it was and how he felt about each one of us and so forth, and then imagine this, I'm, you know, 1967, I'm 11 years old, 10 years older, and each one of us would talk about what kind of summer we had one at a time and talk about the other kids in the bunk and, you know, try to say nice things, of course, but try to do a little constructive criticism, if you will. Uh, Jake Atkins, who I loved to death, uh, had a sportsmanship issue, if you will. He liked to throw his glove at first base now and then, you know. So stuff like that, we'd go like, Chicky, we love you, but... You know, you really got to, you know, work on that or something. And the stuff that was said in those meetings, uh, whatever you call it, those little sessions, you'd think about for 10 months, you know, and you <laughs> count the days to get back to camp. But one of the things that you, uh, you know, would really hit home, I remember Robbie Long saying to me, you know, Larry, you're a really nice kid and all that, but, you know, you need to laugh more. Well, I didn't think Robbie was that funny, but, you know, <laughs> I really tried to do that more after that, you know, and, and that's the kind of stuff that Pete Ehrenberg brought uh, to my life and to camp um, that, you know, if I had a model, uh, you know, as a counselor, as a person, that's who it was. 
Well, um, or is yeah no I mean I mean I can't wait for him to hear this because uh, Rosenberg connected us but he Peter expressed some trepidation about coming on the J- the Jake Feinberg show we'll see about it after you just opened up that beautiful story um, were you He's the man were you um, getting off on the idea of um, like Ringo Starr at that point and and, and electronic music when did you get into the uh, electric music oh jeez. Great question. You know, before this interview, um, I do speak on oral cancer. I do speak on cosmetic dentistry. I always have, uh, you know, some type of PowerPoint presentation behind me. And uh, one of the things, as I said, I was worried about is I don't want to come off coming out like an idiot and things don't get up. You know, so I was having some uh, pregame jitters and thinking about what I wanted to talk about and so forth and thinking about how important camp was, you know, throughout my life. Um and I did think about, uh, well, probably one, of the, certainly one of the most important things in my life has always been music. And I got turned on to the Allman Brothers by uh, Paul Stein, Jerry Stein's older brother. Um, when I was 16, I was a uh, waiter. And George Pesson, the head waiter, and my best friend, uh, took me to uh, probably, what would it be, maybe 3A3B or something like that. And uh, Paul Stein had an electric guitar. I was already like, that's really cool. You know, I had been turned on to uh, Zeppelin and that kind of stuff when I was about 12. Um, but nothing hit me like when Paul Stein played the Allman Brothers, played along with the record, like Between the Eyes. There was that <laughs> Dickie Betts tone. There was that Dwayne Allman slide. Nobody can put it into words, uh really double drums um, double drums right? well yeah but i mean that that whole sure. sound sure the double guitars and the you know the going back and forth stuff and i was uh, i was enamored you know um <laughs> i loved the dead i loved uh hendrix i loved clapton um but i didn't you mentioned the word seminal there was, there was nothing that hit me you know in my heart like uh allman brothers from you know that summer and then uh we went, um, a couple of us, down to Gaelic Park to see the Allman Brothers play. Um, and uh, I can't tell you how many things I was under the influence of, but you can imagine. <laughs> and uh, It was a transcendent... Uh, wait, where is Gaelic... I'm sorry, can you tell me where that was? Oh, park? it's in the Bronx. It's in the Bronx, okay. And what year was right, this, roughly? In the Bronx. It was like I'm se- sorry? Early 70s, you'd say? Would have been 72. Oh, unbelievable. And uh, yeah. I said, you know, in some kind of muttering, stumbling, uh, you know... Uh, oh my God! If uh, the only thing that could make this better is if uh, Jerry showed up, <laughs> and God is my witness. Well, at least I remember it this way. I want to mention a story about that in a second. Sure. But um, with that, in two seconds or whatever, Jerry and Bobby come out and do playing in the band with the Allman Brothers. Wait a wait a minute! Are you you got to look it up. I thought I. I, I mean, this sounds thing. to me <laughs> like an ima- you, uh all right, that that sounds possibly more like '73, and it was definitely Gaelic Park. We'll have to do some research. Definitely on Gaelic it. Park, and um, the last time I, well, one time, one point I checked, and the whole concert wasn't even on that Allman Brothers, one of those sites that tells you everything that ever happened. You know, sure, it wasn't even there. Really, um, but. I was there. It happened. It's on. I know it's uh, on the internet now. But I do want to get back to a quick story. If go you ahead. Got one go second. ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, there was a uh, uh, Roger Pollisar, who's my favorite camper of all time. Love him to death. Uh, came up to camp after 20 years. So we were in camp together from roughly 64 to 71. 
another guy I worshipped. You know, everybody wanted to be Roger Polisar in camp in those days, and so he comes up to uh, you know Poughkeepsie, my area, gets in touch with me. He says, "I'm coming up for a high school reunion, and I want to go visit camp." And I was like ecstatic, you know. So anyway, we go up to camp and uh, we're walking around. We go to the ball fields. We go here. We go there, and we're telling all these stories about this and that. And I told some story about something that happened that me and him and Steve Certainer did in order. And he goes, Larry, you weren't there. And I'm like, what do you mean I wasn't there? And I tell him the whole story. And he goes, no, you weren't there. It was me and Certainer. I'm positive. And I was like, oh, my God. So what had happened is in my 20 years of being at camp, or whatever it was, maybe it was, you know, I don't know how many years, 10 years of being at camp without him, whatever. I'm telling all these stories about my day, and I put myself into the freaking story. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. I mean, wouldn't anybody do that? You know, I mean, I didn't do it. I don't remember doing it intentionally. Point is, I've listened to only two of your interviews with all due respect. Cause okay. It's tough for me to listen to these in the sense that, you know. I like um, it. No, you will eventually, uh, I don't, you know, to me it's like if it's if it galvanizes some emotion, then I'm doing my job, but you'll get yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, you know, like I said, I was going through some tough times and it was just mm-hmm. too much. I don't want to sit there listen to these great stories and be laughing hysterically, but then crying the next minute. So, I know, I'm with you, man. Yeah. So, uh Anyway, um, but it all but it all rolls it all rolls into one. I mean, you're putting yourself yeah. into these other stories, uh, <laughs> and it all it yeah. all does that. You know, we got a another another name that voice for you. Uh, let's come back. And let's t- let's take a listen to it, and we'll we'll come back. Um, we had turntables. Yeah, you had a turntable in the freaking bunk. Unbelievable! <laughs> Unbelievable! Bunk, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable! I mean, this is this is why I do this the Scatico segment of the show because. Uh, I mean, wait, so it was just a portable one, or, I mean, <laughs> you can... Yeah, it was like, you know, people had, like, would bring up a, you know, one guy would bring up a stereo right. with, a, with a turntable, and you'd have, you know, if it was a council that you had enough, had enough juice, you had to, you know, you had to kind of walk really carefully around it. <laughs> wait, hold um, on, but I want to be, I want to be so clear. It was like, you know, yeah. like Doc's albums, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you walked lightly when one of Doc's <laughs> albums was playing, you didn't want to, you didn't want to mess with one of Doc's albums, you know? <laughs> All right, who is that? I couldn't tell you, honestly. That was Greg Danford. All right. Oh, jeez. All right. All right. He, well, it was a it was a fuzzy connection, but yeah, yeah tread, definitely. Tread lightly with. I yes. want to. I want to know. Uh, so you talked about the almonds. Um, by the way, I was I was interesting. I was interviewing someone this week. I can't remember who, but they, you know, the almonds were considered southern rock, but a lot yeah. of the people that that's a mischaracterization. They were really pro- progressive rock. They were an incredibly progressive group. Um, but tell tell me paint the picture of the 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 turntable and then ultimately your record collection when you had really grown, blossomed into a musician and uh, and an avid fan. I mean, what how eclectic was the Hamburg um, uh, music uh, depth? Uh, let, let me go back many years before that for a second. Sure. Uh, sure. Again, the porch of three A three B would have made me uh, probably. Sub senior, and I remember lying on one of the infamous green, green benches that was on the uh, the open air porch in those days. And here I am, what thirteen years old, and I have I think it was Chicky Atkins had brought up a red and white little portable turntable with a speaker in it, <laughs> and uh, I brought up four albums. I didn't bring up a record player. Who would have thought of that? But uh, thank God, Chicky had a. a 
a record player. And I wasn't, well, I won't say I wasn't smoking pot in those days, but I wasn't smoking pot at the time. And I'm on the porch listening to music. This is not the regular thing for a 13-year-old <laughs> to be doing at Camp Scatico, you know. And I was I uh, I an it. athlete, you know, we were all like, you know, uh, 18 players and we were all about athletics and so forth. And I'm just hanging out on the porch listening to music. And, I don't know, a couple of counselors came over and like, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like it was okay in 1968 that the counselors would like hang out and listen to music, but I was a kid listening to uh, Hendrix. Um, uh, you know, are you experienced? I remember we had. Um, I don't remember what the four albums were, uh, and camp became a different place. You know, in '69, uh, um, Billy Burton and Mike Hollander were going to take me and Roger Pollisar out of camp and take us to uh, Woodstock. I don't think I can get in trouble for that anymore. Wow. Talking about it, thinking wow. about it. Uh, but because of the eight-mile uh, traffic on the thruway, <laughs> they didn't take us. They ended up going, and that's a whole other story. Oh, but, well, uh, I'd love to get into that part two there. Go ahead, continue, yeah. continue. Yeah. Um, so, you know, camp and music were uh, one and the same, if you will. Um, these people, my idols, turned me on to what was cool and so forth. And then uh, in 74, um, you know, when I was a counselor, that was part of my job was to, you know, I brought up, uh, I remember bringing up the 8-track player and listening to the Who, uh, you know, on a rainy days, you know, during, um, you know, uh, those, those longer days in, in the bunk, <laughs> you know, and yep. I didn't realize it, but I was, turning these kids on to what good music was and vice versa. Um, and still to this day, the connection with, you know, uh, Greg and Jimmy and uh, Jimmy Rosenzweig and Billy, uh, maybe Billy, Billy's yet to uh, commit, um, and Didi are going to meet in Nashville uh, for a weekend in June. Anybody wants to come? Oh, that's know. fantastic. I'm uh, going to have to fly in for that. <laughs> it's all about music, you know. It's, right. And uh, this, you know, this goes back Fifty years uh, in terms of what kind of music are we going to? You know, Didi's all about the country, and and I'm loving the country now. Where you're playing some country with my band, um, you know. Uh, but it's been a, uh, a so many years of uh, of learning and molding, but the sound is still back to me on the porch in '68. You know. How how did you how did how did you start to develop your own voice? Everyone talks about you being a, a monster performer. You know, Chumbo. Oh, God. Yeah, no, go I ahead. I, I have great equipment. <laughs> yeah. Tell a little girl. Uh, it's, for me, it's, I have uh, 28 guitars, and I have the Les Paul. You know, you, you know hopefully, if you're lucky in life, uh, you know, you get the things that you wanted when you were 19, uh, when you're 39. So I got all uh, all the toys, and um, and I've been incredibly blessed with a phenomenal uh, guitar player the best guitar player I ever hung out with happens to be my son Jamie Hamburg who uh, just got uh, 11 A's and he's pissed off because one asshole teacher gave him an A minus uh, at Berkeley Total School asshole. of Music oh is it Berkeley I would love to interview that cat because oh, to me geez. it's like I, I actually one of my theses is that and I want him to refute it or tell me what's going on because I feel like uh you know, the language of all musics has been incredibly stifled because most of the learning's going on in academia as opposed to before when the culture was out in the street. But that's a, that, uh, that's something yeah. maybe I can talk to Jamie about. Um, 
he'll talk your ear off about music, and uh, he just ask him. He's the most knowledgeable guy in the world uh, right now about music. But you know, talk about blessed. This is who you know. Unfortunately, he's away at school nine months out of the year now. But for the last many years, you know, since he was ten years old. Uh, I taught him the pentatonic scale when he was uh, nice. and in six months. He was blowing me away with triples and slides, and I'm like, "How the fuck?" Oh, excuse did you? Did you? <laughs> I, I want to know uh, what kind of music was Irwin into. Big flick. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't know. I couldn't tell you. But, I mean, he uh, never, my I mean, father. You, yeah, go ahead. My father and uh, Flick. I was, I was thinking, you know, we were talking about how far back this goes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my dad went to Camp Moween with Flick in the forties. Wow. And that's how I ended up at camp. And you talk about. Uh, I only know him as David. Uh, some call him Flick or Little Flick. Um, but you know, I know David since he was born, and uh, you know, um, so that goes back to uh, your early sixties, if you will. Um, but musically, uh, Flick, uh, I have no idea what he was into. I imagine he was into the same stuff my father was into, which is, you know, big band stuff, you know. Swing music. Yeah, no, I was curious yeah. about uh, if you ever were channeling, like, the Mahavishnu Orchestra on 72. That would have really opened the ears of the kids uh, in, in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was straight ahead, 145 stuff. Really right? straight ahead. I, I, I did. I dig the um, 145. Hey, I got another voice here for you. Uh, let's break. Let's listen to it. I think this will be better audio, and then we'll uh, come back. G.H. was Greg Herman, Greg, and yeah. he he was a first-year counselor. He came in from Ohio. Um, a guy named Tommy Rosenberg, who was a longtime camper counselor, uh, somehow knew G.H. from, from Ohio, talked him into coming in for the summer, and he turned out to be like Doc's. <laughs> They were they were like twin tower brothers. They were about the same height. They both loved basketball. They both played very well. So, for example, for us, you know, those guys would go and play a one-on-one game at the B court, and our entire bunk would just go out to watch and play. It was intense. It was a great rivalry. You know, they played. Um, you know, it was always a close game. One of them, you know, sometimes Doc won, sometimes GH won, but it was it was just a, they were they were just counterbalanced each other, the yin and the yang, and, and, you know, Doc, the Jewish guy from Queens, Greg, you know, a country kind of boy from Ohio, and... All right, Doc, who do you got, bud? Who is that? That's another one, too easy. I knew that in the first right, right. Uh, syllable, so... I want anyway... You, I want you to, t- I guess, specifically, um, two questions. You talked before about, you know, how do you handle the, 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 the uh, you know, introverted kid or the, or the bully, and you, and, you, and you try to get down on their level and engage them in conversation. But uh, how much also was it just through leading by example, uh, the idea of going out there, laying it all out there, the Ehrenberg approach, 110%. Yeah. I mean, did you convey a lot of authenticity just through your actions? I didn't uh, try to do anything other than just be me, you know, um, I, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I grew up with four other guys uh, in Queens, and uh, somebody uh, <clears throat> asked, this sounds like uh, I'm being a jerk, but uh no, go got, got to just tell you the story. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> these other four guys, um, one guy was really funny, one guy was the guy that made sure that we didn't die, you know, real responsible, et cetera, et cetera. And so... Uh, Somebody was describing, you know, who was what and why and how and so forth, and they said that uh, that I was cool, and the reason why I was cool is because I didn't try to be cool, and that's what made me cool. So anyway, I don't know if that's true, but whatever I did at camp, I don't remember trying to be this or do that, just 
trying to do my thing, you know. Um, I think, you know, what do they say? If you want a friend, first be a friend. I hope that goes. Uh, you know, if you want somebody to love you, love them. Um, I love my kids. And I think, you know, and they, uh, um, my kids are still my kids, you know. Um, they're in their 50s now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I think, um, you know, it wasn't something that you uh, tried to do or something, but, you know, you meet uh, kids, if you will, like Billy and Dee Dee, and you fall in love with them, and uh, you can't help that. And I think they knew that, you know. Um, you know uh, so I guess the, the biggest thing about camp, uh, there are some people that were there uh, only one summer or two summers, and, uh, you know, that thing, if you're here in jail at four in the morning in Mexico, who do you call, or what's a good friend, and all that, you know. Um, you know, what do they say, uh, you're not calling that person because they're sitting next to you going, what a great fucking time we had. You exactly. Know? Yeah, you but, got nobody uh, to call. Nobody to, but I mean, yeah. I mean if, but, you know. No, no, let me just go ahead. point yeah. out, um, very simply, I, I had roommates in college uh, for nine, ten months of the year. I had friends for, uh, you know, ten years, twenty years, forty years, or whatever that people that I know or something from, uh, grew up in Queens or dental school or what have you. Uh, but there's something about camp, or at least Camp Scatico. I don't think it's this way at Pontiac, i got to be honest with you. But you go to Camp Scatico with certain people for two months, and you're ready to take a bullet for them. You're ready to jump in front of a you know moving train for them. That's, that's what camp did. Um, you know, so uh, I, I can't explain how it happened if anybody felt you know a certain way about me. But the way I felt about my kids, the way I felt about my counselors, um, you know, uh, especially now uh, looking at the world, you know, through sixty-year-old uh, eyes, which I can't believe. Of course, you know, I want a mulligan for the last ten years. That kind of sucked. But you go, where do you, you know, uh, when you're lying there uh, counting how many hours you got left, where are you going to go, you know, in your head? It's only one place. Um, when I was sick, sick, and uh, had a 22% chance of surviving five years, um, you know, I wanted to have my ashes uh, strewn over, you know, the lake, obviously, uh, with a couple of my friends, uh, you know, in the in the stands. Um, you know, the can't put into words what what camp has meant uh, over the years, and I can't explain how. Um, I hope somebody. I hope you're going to write a book from all of these interviews. Well, no, I, I want to. I want to. I want to be. I, wanna, I just have. I you know we burned through 35 minutes, and you've been phenomenal. I just. My question is, when you had that 22 percent chance, how important were those kids that you met in '79, in, in in supporting you, helped you get over the hump to oh, you're still here today? What a great question! Uh, the the big finale. Let me let me officially thank you know. I hope uh, billions of people are hearing this story. But um, there were six people that formed a mini committee. Jeez, um, um, when I was diagnosed, uh, I, I guess I don't know who I told, and they told whoever, and uh, a couple of guys, um, Jimmy. And uh, Billy and Dee Dee, I think, came up um, a couple of days later, came up to Poughkeepsie, and we hung out and stuff. And uh, Anyway, that was a Sunday, I think, and um, by the next day, they had formed a mini-committee. It was uh, Jimmy Rosenzweig, Jamie Raphael, uh, 
Billy and Dee Dee, uh, Fish and Scoo, I believe. Um, and between the six of them, they created this digital document that gave me uh, three choices uh, where to go for treatment. Wow. <laughs> I mean, this is this is insane. Wow. And uh, um, with the each click, you know, it, it said, you know, this inst- these are the three institutions. If I, you know, Sloan, Beth Israel, or uh, up here, if I stayed local, if I went national, it was you know three, you know, MD Anderson, Dana Farber, et cetera. And I ended up uh, because of them. Um, I ended up at Beth Israel, and because of them and Beth Israel, not only am I alive. But it's a miracle that I can speak. Um, you know, uh, most of the people that were diagnosed with me are dead. But more, imp- more importantly, more significant to this conversation, uh, just about everybody I know that was diagnosed with me, uh, if they survive, can't talk. Um, you know, so I had a uh, vocal cord sparing um, uh, therapy, if you will, treatment. That um, that's why we can have this conversation. So. If anybody's interested, if you go to ICanSpeakSeminars.com, um, that's my, uh, coincidentally, whatever, that's uh, that's why I named it um, I Can Speak Seminars, because it's a miracle that I can speak, and I can only speak because of those six guys. Well, Doc, uh, one day we'll uh, we'll meet, we'll shake hands, and, 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 and have I a... I think we'll hug. And we'll, we'll have a hug, and, and maybe we'll even pick up on part two. I feel like we, uh, we just scratched the surface, but um, I really... Um, I got to tell you, man, um, just keep going forward and, uh, much love to you and your, and your, and your, and your family. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we're all in it together, man. So just, uh, I can't thank you enough for what you do, my brother. This is, uh, this is just really, really cool. Uh, you know, looking back, uh, uh, the days from 60 year old eyes, you know, Hey man, talk, it's a talk with the spirits, baby. And and you're, you're one of them. You're still here. So much love to you, brother. (laughs) Back at you. Cheers, man. Later on. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap for the Jake Feinberg Show. We'll be back next week. Mike Roper will be filling in. Have a good one. Peace. Gig!